Okay, so we're back. Had some technical difficulties. So let's get into the stories today. All right. First up, talking about uh, North Street One, Tucker Carlson Putin interview. And we're gonna also going to get into Tucker Carlson. Let's get into it. I'll talk radio live in 4K. So according to Putin, America blew up Nord Stream pipeline, claims President Putin in Tucker interview. Russian President Vladimir Putin told Tucker Carlson that the United States has, has, in his opinion, the motive and the means to blow up Nord Stream gas pipeline, a claim that follows by days, just days, the inconclusive report of the Swedish investigation into the blast. The United States for sure blew up Nord Stream pipeline in the Baltic Sea. Russian Vlad- President Vladimir Putin claimed during his interview with broadcaster Tucker Carlson this week, the allegation which he made without corroborating evidence was said to be self-evidently true because the U.S. had both the motivation and the means to damage the energy infrastructure. When probed for further details, such as evidence for the claim by Carlson, and even in response to the suggestion proving he who blew up Nord Stream might constitute a propaganda victory, for Moscow, Putin refused to be drawn. He replied, I won't get into the details, but people always say in such cases, look for someone who's interested. But in this case, we should not only look for someone who is interested, but also for someone who has the capabilities because there may be many people interested, but not all of them are capable of sinking to the bottom of this Baltic Sea and carry out this explosion. Asked why he wouldn't give up what he knew on the t- on what Tucker called the biggest act of industrial terrorism ever, Putin shrugged off the question by stating it was pointless trying to go toe-to-toe with the U.S. on the war propaganda because Washington controls all the world's media, so Moscow couldn't hope to compete. It's clear to the whole world what happened to Nord Stream, said Putin. So elaborating any further would not be cost effective. When light on new information on the exchange on Nord Stream did at least allow one of the few moments of light relief during the otherwise stayed interview with Putin accusing Tucker personally, either by design or misinterpretation of having blown up the pipeline. Both men laughed as he attempted to rely attempted to reply and Tucker reposted. I was busy that day. I did not blow up Nord Stream. Thank you, though. The CIA has such has no such alibi for the date for the day the pipeline was destroyed. Was Putin's rejoinder one of several occasions over the course of the interview? Putin name checked the U.S. spy agency. Bizarrely, the former KGB agent appeared to rib Carlson over the fact that he applied to join the CIA after college but apparently had been turned down the interview exchange over Nord Stream came just days after sweden ended its official pipeline and destruction investigation without managing to come to a conclusion on who blew up the infrastructure as reported the fact sweden managed to come to no conclusion has raised some questions kenneth uh bull of the royal danish defense college suggested that the decision to not point fingers may indicate that they could have could have some kind of a political involvement. In other words, a cover-up. Bolt uh, continued, there might be a good reason for not going out with a conclusion. Sweden stands in a sensitive position as it wants to join NATO and may not want to rock the boat further. 
Sweden is on the verge of joining NATO and has a, has near full support in the alliance to do so, as formerly neutral Finland did last year. The Nord Stream pipeline attack took place on September 26, 2022, with a number of underwater explosions destroying Nord Stream 1 and damaging the nearby and newly built but never activated Nord Stream 2. These pipes have been built as part of a major collaboration between Russia and Germany meant to transport natural gas into the central Europe into Central Europe while bypassing Eastern European nations like Poland and Ukraine. The pipeline had long been controversial and the source of claims of undue Russian influence and corruption in Germany. That the German government was making the nation's state of health so dependent on Russian good faith was a key criticism of the lax of attitude of European patterns to the NATO alliance of Donald Trump, who warned Germany had become a captive to Russia. All right. Now, something else kind of, you know, had me not really taking this interview seriously anymore. All right. And this was the reason why. One minute. One second. Here it is. Here it is. Fair use, by the way. Well, the argument I know you know is that, well, he invaded Ukraine. He has territorial aims across the continent. And you're saying unequivocally you don't. It is absolutely out of the question. You just don't have to be any kind of analyst. It goes against common sense to get involved in some kind of a global war. And a global war will bring all humanity to the brink of destruction. It's obvious. There are certainly means of deterrence. They have been scaring everyone with us all along. Tomorrow Russia will use tactical nuclear weapons. Tomorrow Russia will use that. No, the day after tomorrow. So what? My thing is this. Wasn't Russia pissed off with... Uh, Ukraine wanted to join NATO. I mean, that was the whole reason why Russia got involved in the first place. This is why I'm kind of looking at this interview sideways. And this is why. Now we're going to get into talking about Tucker Carlson. All right. Go. You're about the most unordinary person I know. You're an elitist. You're an asshole. No, no, no. I'm a t but see, I'm an out-of-the-closet elitist. I don't run around pretending to be a man of the people. I'm absolutely not a man of the people at all. How do you pay your bills? 
Well, I'm like extraordinarily loaded just from like money I, you know, inherited. You're a trust fund baby, are you not? No, completely. I've never needed to work. I mean, it's all just the whole cable news thing. It was like a phase I was going through. Thank you. I will document the many connections Tucker Carlson has to the CIA and other groups. The reason I'm doing this is because right now he is leading a major part of America off a cliff with his false conservative platform. He rages about the elite and how America seems to be going down the drain when he himself couldn't be more connected to these same elites helping to do it. He is a total shill, a puppet being used to distribute propaganda. What people need to realize is the left and right paradigm we are given is entirely false. Whether you watch CNN or Fox, you are getting CIA agents highly trained in propaganda, usually coming from wealthy families. Take Anderson Cooper, for example. He admittedly interned at the CIA and was born into the Vanderbilt family. He could be called the face of CNN, just as Tucker is the face of Fox. Follow me as I take you through his career and document his highly suspect rise in journalism. Don't forget to take notes and research these things yourself. Tucker Carlson was born on May 16, 1969, in San Francisco, California. When he was six years old, his father Richard divorced his mother Lisa and married Patricia Swanson, one of the heiresses to Swanson Enterprises, most notable for their TV dinners. Carlson attended many boarding schools during his youth, including locations in Switzerland and Rhode Island. He graduated from Trinity College in Connecticut in 1991, which is known as one of the Little Ivies, which are a group of private schools which compete with Ivy League schools. Supposedly, Tucker attempted to join the CIA when he graduated, but his application was denied. I can't find an explanation as to why he wanted to be in the CIA or why they rejected him. His father was a very well-connected man in the media industry and encouraged him to pursue journalism because, quote, they'll take anybody. His father, Richard, started his career in journalism at the young age of 22. He had jobs as a copy boy at the Los Angeles Times, as well as a reporter for United Press International, which at the time was one of the largest newswire services in the world. He worked for a few TV stations in Los Angeles and San Diego before joining San Diego Federal Savings and Loan in 1977. The bank was headed by Gordon Luce, who was the former public affairs director for Reagan. Richard became vice president of finance within three years, and during this time, the bank had a lot of political controversies due to their connections to current and former members of the Reagan administration. In 1983, he decided to get into politics, and in 1984, ran for mayor of San Diego. He lost to his opponent, Roger Hedgecock, who was later forced from office in 1985 after it was revealed he received over $350,000 illegally during his campaign. Coincidentally, he would also go on to become a conservative radio host. In 1986, using his connections to the White House, Reagan personally announced his intention to nominate Richard as Associate Director of the United States Information Agency. He became director of Voice of America, which was a propaganda broadcasting division of USIA. He served as their longest-running director. Voice of America started in 1941 when President Roosevelt established the Foreign Broadcast Information Service as a program directed by the Office of Strategic Services, which became the CIA. The intention stated publicly was to communicate America's views abroad, but it was really an outfit to disseminate propaganda. The first few broadcasts for Voice of America were done over British Broadcasting Corporation transmitters, but expanded rapidly and fell under control of the Office of War Information in 1942. The Office of War Information was tasked with creating and distributing propaganda domestically and internationally. They did this through various means such as broadcasts, newspapers, posters, films, and other media. 
The agency was terminated by President Truman in 1945, and their offices were transferred to the State Department, and most of the responsibilities were transferred to the CIA. It should also be noted that a Voice of America relay station in Thailand was used as a CIA black site referred to as Cat's Eye or Detention Site Green. These overlaps and connections between Voice of America and the CIA should not be glossed over. In 1991, Richard Carlson was personally nominated by President George H.W. Bush to be the U.S. Ambassador to the Seychelles, a nation of islands off the eastern coast of Africa. In 1997, he became CEO of King World Public Television, which was later purchased by CBS in 1999 for $2.5 billion. He became the vice chairman of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, which is an organization that is part of the Israel lobby in the United States. It was founded by Clifford May, who was also a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, the Project for the New American Century, and vice chairman of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Now, you're starting to see that it was no mistake Tucker wanted to join the CIA and become a journalist, like father, like son. Tucker Carlson got his start in journalism when he was hired as a fact checker for Policy Review. This was a publication put out by the Heritage Foundation. The Heritage Foundation was founded in 1973 by three men, Paul Weirich, a political activist and commentator, Edwin Fuelner, an academic who attended London School of Economics, which is a Rothschild-controlled school, and who was also advisor to different government agencies and domestic policy consultant to Reagan, and last but not least, Joseph Coors of the Coors Brewing family. In 1975, Congress investigated the activities of the Korean Central Intelligence Agency in the U.S. Mr. Fuelner had met with the KCIA station chief, Kim Young-Hwan, and in the early 90s, the Heritage Foundation started receiving donations from the KCIA. It should also be noted that in 2005, Mr. Fuelner was appointed to a task force on UN reform, which included such people as former CIA Director James Woolsey, with the goal of achieving a more effective United Nations. The task force was also supported by the Council on Foreign Relations. In 1977, Paul Weirich hired a man named Roger Pearson to write for Policy Review. In 1986, an intelligence agency watchdog publication called the Covert Action Quarterly documented Pearson's connections to James Jesus Angleton, who was the former chief of CIA counterintelligence, as well as Daniel Graham, former director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. The Heritage Foundation was largely funded by Joseph Coors through his family wealth, but it also received funding from Chase Manhattan Bank, Pfizer, Dow Chemical, Sears, General Motors, Amico, and Mobile. David Rockefeller was CEO and chairman of Chase Manhattan Bank at the time. It should also be noted that David's grandfather, John D. Rockefeller, who started the Standard Oil Company, had to break it up due to antitrust laws, and Amico, as well as Mobile, were once part of the company. John D. Rockefeller also donated the 16 acres of land upon which the United Nations headquarters sits in New York. In David Rockefeller's own memoirs, he is quoted as saying, Some even believe we, the Rockefeller family, are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists, and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty, and I am proud of it. He also funded and was chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations. A quick little fun fact, before the homosexual political commentator David Brock, founder of Media Matters for America, a leftist propaganda outlet which received funding from George Soros and given office space by alleged pedophile and human trafficker John Podesta, he was on the board of the Heritage Foundation. He supported Hillary Clinton for president twice 
and dated James Elephantis, who has been accused of being a pedophile and human trafficker. He is also a friend of Lynn Rothschild. Lynn Rothschild supposedly abhors Trump and fawns over Clinton publicly, yet her and Trump go way back as well. Also, here's a photo of Trump laughing it up with Happy Rockefeller, wife of former vice president and New York governor Nelson Rockefeller. So we have to understand that Trump is no hero. Trump is not the savior of, of America. He's in bed with these people, too. So this left-right paradigm, he's right. It is false, and I have been saying that. So vote for, pick your poison, all right? Whoever you vote for, you're in for a rude awakening. You pick Trump, y'all, it's not going to be good. Neither would it be good under Biden, either. It's a great example to show you that these people are all liars and actors. They will fill whatever role they need to fill when they need to fill it. Sometimes that involves swinging to the total opposite side of the false paradigm politically if it's advantageous to the agenda of the elite. Pick your central banking puppet, left or right. It's all controlled, and these people are shameless whores. When Tucker Carlson left his job at Policy Review, he went to work for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette under the tutelage of editor Paul Greenberg. Mr. Greenberg was very well connected, having his pieces published across 1,400 different newspapers within the Tribune Content Agency syndicate at the time. He also won a Pulitzer Prize in 1969 and appeared on major television networks as a political commentator on talk shows such as Charlie Rose. Now, I can't actually prove that Mr. Greenberg was CIA, but when I started to look at a few publications he put out, it made me start to wonder. In one article entitled, How to Break the CIA, published on JewishWorldReview.com September 2, 2009, he defends the CIA from what he believes to be unfair persecution. He defends the torture of possibly innocent people, as justified in the, quote, war on terror. When referring to the torture of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, he says, are we supposed to be sorry about that and proceed to punish those who uncovered these plans? On what theory? That no good deed for your country should go unpunished? He also boo-hoos about the morale of the CIA and how investigations might increase their agent's anxiety. In another article by Mr. Greenberg entitled, Hooray for Snooping, Published in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, October 23, 2013, he talks about a national conference of editorial writers he attended in Calgary, Alberta, in the 70s or 80s. In the article, he says that, quote, That year at Calgary, one solemn resolution proposed that we stop talking to the CIA, since a number of journalists abroad had been assassinated on the pretext that we were all CIA agents, capitalist spies, tools of imperialism, and, well, you know the rest. As if the killers were so lacking in imagination, they couldn't come up with some other excuse to do away with us if they hadn't invented this one. So there we were, an all-too-solemn convention assembled, First Amendment or no, debating whether we should gag ourselves. I dissented, being an American, and unaccustomed to being told whom I could talk to or not talk to. Memory grows furtive, but I believe the resolution was defeated. That it was ever considered was disgraceful enough. It occurs to some of us that, if the CIA and FBI and NSA had been allowed to talk even to each other before September 11, 2001, that date might not have become another one that will live in infamy. If only big data could have been mined back then the way it is now, the country might have been a lot safer, along with the thousands of innocent victims who found themselves in the Twin Towers that fateful day, and others rushing to their rescue as firefighters and cops and the troops who were stationed at the Pentagon as airliners were turned into flaming engines of destruction, their passengers and crews wiped out, including those who, like the ones aboard Valiant Flight United 93, were the first to mount a counterattack against the terrorist in the still-continuing war. 
It would seem Mr. Greenberg, a very well-connected columnist, was very sympathetic to the ambitions of the CIA for seemingly no reason. It should also be noted he was Jewish and a Zionist. When Tucker left the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, he went to work for the weekly Standard News magazine in 1995. It was founded by William Crystal and Fred Barnes. William Crystal is Jewish and the son of Irving Crystal, who's been described as, quote, the godfather of neoconservatism. Irving Crystal was also a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and worked for the Congress for Cultural Freedom. The Congress for Cultural Freedom was a group started by a Jewish CIA agent named Mikkel Jocelyn in 1950. It distributed anti-communist propaganda in 35 countries and published over 20 magazines. In 1966, the New York Times ran a series of articles exposing it as a front for the CIA to transfer money to the State Department and the United States Information Agency, the same agency which broadcasted Voice of America, which Tucker's dad was the director of. In the book Thinks, How the CIA Tricked the World's Best Writers, author Joel Whitney talks about, quote, how the good versus bad CIA is a false divide, and that the cultural cold warriors again and again used anti-communism as a lever to spy relentlessly on leftist, and indeed writers of all political inclinations, and thereby pushed U.S. democracy a little closer to the Soviet model of the surveillance state. He alleges that Crystal was in fact a CIA employee. The man who referred to Irving as the godfather of neoconservatism was a man named Jonah Greenberg, also Jewish and editor-in-chief of the National Review, a semi-monthly magazine. The magazine was founded by William F. Buckley Jr. and has played a significant role in the development of conservatism in the United States. Like Crystal, Buckley was also outed as a CIA employee in Joel Whitney's book. It should also be noted that Fred Barnes, co-founder of the Weekly Standard, currently moderates a show on Voice of America called Issues in the News, again, the same program Tucker's father, Richard, was director of. It would seem William Crystal was also a fan of Paul Greenberg, Tucker's first mentor at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, since he quoted him in an article he published in the Washington Examiner, November 1st, 2004, entitled The 9-11 Connection. In the article, he quotes Paul as saying, everything we had thought, assumed, expected in the golden 90s hadn't been so. The surface piece of the 1990s had been bought at a great price. On 9-11, a failure of American leadership was revealed a failure to look ahead and act forcefully to forestall threats, to do what Bush has called, quote, the hard work of fighting terror and spreading freedom. William's father, Irving, alleged CIA employee, also only had kind words to say about Mr. Greenberg when he wrote the foreword to his 1991 book, Resonant Lives, 50 Figures of Consequence. He said, and I quote, our intellectual and spiritual elites today are, with some notable exemptions, semi-educated at best, this explains why someone like Mr. Greenberg has not received the recognition he deserves. Oh yes, he has won a Pulitzer Prize and other awards, which is nice, but these are tributes to his journalistic talents as a columnist and editorial writer. As a master of the brief moral essay, he has yet to come into his own. These men all seem to connect to one another in some way, and they all seemingly support the quote, alleged war on terror while increasing the size of the government in the name of preserving freedom. They protect Israel and promote their agenda while scapegoating Muslims for false flag attacks meant to justify giving more power to their think tanks and intelligence agencies, which answer to nobody except the people lining their pockets. After leaving the Weekly Standard, Tucker then went on to write for New York Magazine, Reader's Digest, Slate, Esquire, The New Republic, The New York Times, The Daily Beast, and The Wall Street Journal.
He would also go to work on camera for CNN, PBS, and MSNBC before finally settling into his role at Fox News as the poster boy for conservative values. During those years, he also somehow found time to appear on shows like King of Queens, 30 Rock, and Dancing with the Stars. While he is now in Fox News as arguably their most popular personality, this wasn't his first tango with News Corporation, which owns Fox News. News Corporation, owned by Rupert Murdoch, also owned the Weekly Standard, where Tucker worked under Bill Kristol. News Corporation headquarters is located in none other than the Rockefeller Center Complex in New York. Rupert Murdoch is also on the board of Genie Energy, an American energy company located out of New Jersey. Other noteworthy people on the board of Genie Energy include Jacob Rothschild, the head of the Rothschild banking dynasty, and James Woolsey, former director of the CIA, who, if you remember earlier, was also on the UN Reform Task Force in 2005 with Heritage Foundation founder Edwin Fuelner, whose goal was to create a more effective United Nations. The same United Nations which resides on land donated by John D. Rockefeller. In a 2015 article written by Charlie Rose in Vanity Fair, he details a merger between Jacob Rothschild and David Rockefeller. Rothschild bought 37% of shares in Rockefeller Financial Services through his RIT Capital Partners. This is the same Charlie Rose who would have Arkansas columnist Paul Greenberg on a show to talk politics, and the same Paul Greenberg who was held in such high regard by William Crystal and his father Irving. There are so many overlapping connections that can be made that I probably missed dozens, if not more, during my research into the topic. Given these connections to the CIA, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, etc., it's no wonder Tucker Carlson ridicules people who believe that 9-11 was an inside job and calls these people parasites. It's also no wonder Tucker Carlson won't seriously address the Rothschilds on his show, as his boss probably wouldn't be too happy, even though they have so much control and influence. Whenever people bring up legitimate issues, it's his job to mock them so his viewers won't get to the truth of the matter. Washington, D.C. experienced a mild snowfall last week. Continue. But let me just say one thing. The but there isn't any. So. In Minneapolis, we're on Paul. Oh, that was fun. I remember yeah. that. But you, but you had to leave early. What happened? Uh, <laughs> the truth or stuff. The truth or stuff. I'll tell you what. I didn't bail on Ron Paul. It's when Jesse Ventura got up and started saying 9-11 was an inside job. He didn't say that. Yeah, yeah he did say that. No, he said that it was uh, curious why the FBI, come on, come on. Uh, you know, had been Laden on, on, on. Look, I'm, uh, I'm the most. I, I got it. I was there. And uh, but. So you had to leave because that one. I was enraged. I was enraged by it. Wasn't controversial. Let me answer your question. Sure. It wasn't controversial. It was stupid. And if there's any evidence that the government is behind 9-11, you know, I believe anything if there's evidence, but there isn't any. So knock it off. That's my view. Okay, but And I one, said that to him. Sure, sure, but one stupid person says something stupid at a Ron Paul event. Yeah, I, I hate that. And, and by the way, I am open to almost any crackpot theory about anything. It's just on that subject, come on. You know what I mean? That's too much. That Even for me. So just out of curiosity then, what, what's your take on Building 7? Which explanation do you believe? Come on. <laughs> like, no, that's a serious question. Which explanation did, did I mean, it? Which it, explanation? I, I there's believe. There's two explanations. It was either it was uh, it was pulled or it was isolated pockets of fire in the building that blew that, that were sort of. Uh, let me let me get, let me the, let, the towers come down. They right. brought it down. This is a no-win conversation, so I'm not going to continue it. But let me just say one thing. The macro, my macro view is is the obvious one, which is the buildings came down because a bunch of nutcases flew a plane into them. Okay. 
But if you look, there's more information out there that says that uh, when a building crashes in, you know, when a plane crashes into a building, the building still stays up. A building, a plane crashing the building is not going to send the building tumbling down. So Tucker is wrong on this, but he's still defending a false narrative. Hmm. Wonder why. Okay, so are you still supporting Ron Paul? So are you supporting anybody in the race this year? No, I don't support. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't even You're vote someone. Journalist? I don't even vote someone. I'm hardly objective. <laughs> I'm honest. I'm not objective. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Certainly not afraid to speak your mind. No, I'm not. No. You can assess my views. They're very clear. You have any but message? I hate that 9-11 crap. Why should they just kick those people out? I mean... Really? It's important for people whose families still involved to know the truth, whether or not the government was involved or whether it was terrorist, but there's a history of government-sponsored terror throughout the past century. I'm, yeah, you know? exactly. So what do you mean, kick them out? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you, you, on, anybody who's a 9-11 chooser should be, should be kicked out of the, the country? Of course not. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't even believe in parking tickets. I mean, please. <laughs> I just don't. I think that people, before saying something that heavy, ought to present real evidence and not just, it's a coincidence or questions remain a dumb things like steel doesn't weaken until 2400 degrees is evidence that that jet fuel couldn't cause a collapse of the, the tower from the thing yeah. near the top except the thing is it did <laughs> so he just that man just told you facts and you still on a false narrative can you say he's a puppet we first funded Al Qaeda. Back, 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 well, now, yeah, back, back when they were fighting the Soviets. We, we gave them a lot of money. The CIA, CIA pretty much trained them. I mean, I mean that's, that's pretty much enough evidence for me. That the government brought down the Twin Towers? You know what, the government, the government was involved in bringing that into our because they would not be trained. Because who, who trained them? The government trained them. The CIA trained them. The special ops trained them. All right. I've, I've had this debate so many times. It's not, you know. The other is, instead of two, it's of case says that hijack members of the victim. Now, this is where he's going to talk about 9-11. He's going to have a doctor on and see how he reacts. That a doctor that um, goes against the, the false narrative that a plane could crash in a building and it tumbles down. See how Tucker Carlson acts towards a person who has an educated knowledge about this subject. Welcome back. Millions of people watched the horror of 9-11 right before their very eyes, live on television. Two planes crashing into the World Trade Center, and less than a couple of hours later, both towers, of course, collapsing. My next guest says that hijackers may not have brought down the towers by themselves. Here to explain his controversial theory, Stephen Jones. He's a professor <coughs> of physics at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Professor Jones, thanks for coming on. Sure, thanks, Tucker. This, well, just Glad sum up this, here. obviously, your uh, theory, just the, the one sentence uh, that I just explained uh, in the intro contradicts what we all think we know about how these towers collapsed. Quickly sum up your explanation for what happened. Well, I'd like to start with uh, uh, this paper that you referred to. It's available online. What, what I'm doing, uh, Tucker, is presenting evidence, for, but it's a hypothesis to be tested. Uh, that's a big difference from a conclusion. Uh, and so I just wanted to clarify that. But to sum up, uh, 
I, I've looked at the uh, official reports by FEMA and so on uh, yes. regarding the collapse of yeah of these buildings. Right. I'd like to look at the collapse of Building Seven in just a minute. Uh, it was not even hit by a jet, okay, so we but, should but look at that one. The two towers, the, the explanation has been that the fire inside was so intense that it weakened the structural steel and that each floor collapsed down upon the next in a pancake fashion and they imploded in on themselves. Is that essentially, I think, what people think? Uh, yeah, that's basically it, yeah. And so uh, uh, what I've done is to analyze uh, these reports. But I would like to do a little experiment with you, Tucker, if I could. I sent out a, uh, a video clip of the collapse of Building 7 because most people haven't actually seen that one, and that's the, that's the crux of the argument okay. that I'm well, presenting. Well, sum up very quickly the argument for us. You believe there were explosives in the buildings planted by someone, detonated. Well, yeah. Is that correct? In other words, the, hy the hypothesis to be tested is... Uh, there's two hypotheses here. One is fire and damage caused all three buildings to collapse. Okay. The other is that explosives in the buildings uh, may have caused the collapse. And so then we analyze and see which fits the data better. And I've done that in my 25-page uh, uh, paper. I want to read you a quote from the Deseret Morning News, a paper in Utah mm. from you. I'm quoting now. It is quite plausible that explosives were pre-planted in all three buildings and set off after the two plane crashes, which were actually a diversion tactic. Muslims are probably right. not to blame for bringing down the World Trade Center buildings after all. That's, right. I would think, so, pretty offensive to a lot of people listening. Do you have any evidence for that? I mean, well, uh, uh, not, not to the Muslims, I might say. <laughs> well, that's a good I've had a lot of emails. I'm, I'm sure, yeah, yeah, I'm sure your, yeah. your writings have been greeted with glee in Islamabad and Peshawar and places like that. But for Americans, it... Well, I haven't received any notes from there, but uh, just good people. Uh, I have uh, uh, Muslim friends. Let, let me read, for example, but I'm, I'm not going to let you off the hook. I really want to do this experiment okay. with you. Well, to we look don't, we don't have a lot of time for experiments, so. uh, Professor, but if you could just, well, uh, just give us one thing to hold on to. How, uh, you make this, these claims or appear to make these claims. Do you have any uh, evidence uh, that there uh, were bombs in the building? The, sure, sure. Let's start with the uh, collapse of Building 7. Can you roll the video clip that I sent to you? Okay, I'm not sure if we that, can, but to specify that is World Trade Center building number seven, try. smaller than the other two, was not hit uh, by a plane, of course, yet it collapsed. Right. right, it's 47 stories. That's right. 24 steel columns in the center. The man said he sent you a video clip and you're not willing to play it. Yeah, you're rushing this guy off. We see what type of person he is. He's a CIA puppet. Right. Uh, trusses uh, asymmetrically uh, supported. Now, do you, I can't see what you're seeing, so we, we just, are you we rolling just see that? The, no, we just see the building. And the, just so our viewers know, the explanation that I think is conventional is that there was a large tank of diesel fuel stored in the lower level of that, which mm -hmm. caught fire, and uh, the resulting right. fire collapsed the building. Well, that's uh, basically it. Yeah, no, but uh, as we read in the FEMA report, it says here, and I put this in my paper, of course. The best hypothesis, which is the only one they looked at, the fire, has only a low probability of occurrence. Further investigation, invest, uh, analyses are needed to resolve this issue, and I agree with that. Okay. But they admit there's only a low probability. And if you look at the collapse, you see uh, what I've studied is the fall time, the symmetry, 
the fact that it first uh, dips in the middle, that's called the kink, which is uh, very characteristic, of course, All right. of uh, uh, controlled pro demolition. Pro professor, I am sorry that we are out of time, and I, I'm not sure that Whoa. Uh, you've uh, One other fully thing I want to mention about... Okay, if you can hit it uh, okay. with it quickly. All right. There, there, okay, here we go. Molten metal in the basements of all three buildings. Right. And yet uh, all scientists now uh, reasonably uh, agree that the fires were not sufficiently hot to melt the steel. So what is this molten metal? It's a direct evidence for the use of uh, high temperature explosives such as thermite. Thermite produces uh, molten iron as, a, as an end product. Okay. So well, I, we, I... we do have... Uh, yeah, it's very short time, but people will read the paper, then I talk about the molten metal, the okay. symmetry of the collapse, and the weaknesses and inadequacies of the fire okay. hypothesis. Uh, Professor, we're going to have to leave it to our viewers. Basically just rushed that man, did not want to play the video that he gave him, did not even want to uh, let the experiment play out, that he was trying to prove his point that, you know, there were possible explosives. And guess what? There's videos out showing firefighters who came out of that building saying that they heard loud explosions when they were trying to evacuate people out of the out of the um the twin towers. Okay. So as you can see, yeah. He's not Tucker Carlson's not who he says he is. And um He's part of the he's part of the uh, satanic elite. Okay, let's go on with uh, with Putin now. You know what? Um, this information is kind of risky. Uh, I will probably have to do that another time. So we're going to go to the next story. We're going to be talking about migrants leaving Canada. All right. At what cost, though? How is Trudeau's politics even helping Canada in any case? Let me answer that from an Indian perspective. You know, there was a time when Indians wanted to move to Canada. They would enroll into Canadian universities in the hope to land a job in Canada, eventually become a PR or a permanent resident of Canada, and then gradually become a Canadian citizen. This was the Canadian dream, but this dream has now become a nightmare. The story of the nightmare revolves around the life of an expat in Canada. It starts with the question, what happens once you land in Canada? Is your life as smooth as you have imagined it to be? Is your life as beautiful as the meadows of Canada? Or are people cold to you? Do they discriminate against you? Well, as per data from Statistics Canada, 17.5% immigrants who arrived in Canada between 1982 and 2017 left the country within 20 years. They emigrated again. They packed their bags and left the country they had hoped to make their home. And why do you think that is? 
The report points at some of the possible reasons. One, immigrants face difficulty trying to integrate into Canada. Two, finding a job in Canada isn't all that easy. Same with finding a place. It's not that easy. That's point number three. This is Canada's harsh reality. It has come to the fore over the past few years. And before that, life in Canada was considered to be a bed of roses. Well, it's not. It never really has been. Today, youngsters emigrating to Canada are struggling to find jobs that match their skill sets and also pay them well. Many are complaining about higher taxes, high housing costs. We have been telling you about Canada's housing crisis for a while now. The country is not constructing enough housing units. As per government data, there is a shortfall of around 345,000 housing units across Canada. And to top that, record high interest rates have made the new housing units extremely expensive for most people. So now we have uh, migrants can't make it in Canada. So they're going to leave. Can't find jobs. Hmm. Maybe Canada did something right because they don't have to deal with high crime from migrants as we have to deal with if you live in New York City or parts of Texas or in Chicago. So maybe Canada did something right. Maybe they did. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. On to the next story we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about another story pertaining to migrants. We're going to be talking, actually, we got a couple. We're going to talk about moped gangs. That's what we're going to talk about. Fair use. Showing you this shocking video of a migrant moped gang dragging a woman down a New York City street. She crashes into a bike stand right there. She's lucky every bone in her body wasn't broken. They were trying to steal her purse and inside it her phone. And now we're learning oh, these gangs on mopeds of migrants allegedly have hired hackers to access victims' bank accounts. The New York City police. What did I tell you about these these illegal immigrants coming to the U.S. And some of them are criminals. I did say that. And some of them come are from gangs. Look what's happening now. Police department saying, quote, they're getting into their Venmo. They're getting into their Zelle accounts. And they're using that money to make purchases. They will essentially clear out the accounts. Here with more is the president of New York City's Detective Endowment Association, Paul DiGiacomo. Paul, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Thank you. Okay, so this is a new wrinkle with the migrants. Some of them are actually forming little mobs. They're, it's, it's organized crime. Absolutely. This is the organized crime. It's just like the mafia, but it's a, not a non-traditional. It's a non-traditional organized crime group, and it's a continuing criminal enterprise. And this is something that has to be worked on on a double prong with the NYPD, and the federal government to really uh, stop this uh, this syndicate. 
Sure, but Paul, as we've seen in New York with those uh, those guys, uh, those men and women who beat up the cops, they went before a judge, so they just let them go. And unfortunately, if it's a small crime, they're not going to do any time. Well, even if it's a big crime, they don't do crime uh, any time at all. You know, uh, the reality is, for three years now, we've been telling uh, Albany that the bail reform laws are not working. And uh, clearly, they're not working because these individuals are out. Uh, you know, this law has to be changed to, held, to hold the criminal element at, accountable for their actions. And there must be consequences. And until we have consequences, crime will continue to go up. Absolutely, because let's face it, Paul, they are a flight risk uh, for the people who oh, beat sure. up the cop. Uh, you know, we can't find them. Cops can't find them Absolutely. anywhere. Yeah. And, and so that is a problem. Now, for people watching right now, help us out. Um, I, I know that now that apparently these migrant uh, mobsters essentially on the mopeds have um, figured a way to hire hackers to hack into your bank apps on your phone. How can we protect mm -hmm. ourselves so that if they get our phone, they don't have our bank? Well, it's, it's very difficult to do. Um, but I will say this. Uh, New York City detectives uh, will apprehend these individuals. Uh, they will track them down. And they will bring them to justice. I hope that they bring it on a federal level, because if they bring it to the courts in Manhattan, uh, nothing will be done. And that's the problem. Uh, this has to be an effort by the NYPD, uh, the federal government. And we have to work hand in hand uh, to make sure that these individuals uh, are properly punished. Yeah. But, Paul, you've been watching the news. Um, this is all by design. I keep saying this because this is how it seems like it's, it's like that. You're not punishing them. The cops are just letting them go. Sometimes not even dealing with the uh, the migrants at times. Uh, it's really turning. New York City is turning into what it used to be in the 80s. And it just keeps getting worse. All right. And we have this crime here, too, as well. This was committed by a 15-year-old. New York, a 15-year-old is under arrest after allegedly shooting a tourist in a, in a store in Times Square and firing at police. Here's Aaron McLaughlin. Tonight in New York City, a 15-year-old wanted for opening fire on police officers in a crowded Times Square and shooting a tourist in the leg with a 45 caliber handgun now in police custody, according to law enforcement. Considering where these shootings took place, it's an actual miracle that we're not having a very different conversation right now. Police say the teenage migrant recently arrived in New York from Venezuela in September. One of three teens who, according to police, entered a sporting goods store Thursday evening, stomped by a security guard for allegedly stealing clothes. Our suspect takes out a 45 caliber handgun, a very large handgun, shoots at her into a crowd, striking a 37-year-old female tourist from Brazil. The victim telling our affiliate WNBC she heard a loud bang before seeing blood dripping down her leg. It's getting really out of control here. 
people are going to have to reconsider staying in New York. Um, this is a really sad case of what's going on. All right. It really is. But it's also more. Okay. That's happening. And here's where uh, the House Republicans dropped the ball here. And I will show you. Republicans to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary failed. They needed everybody to fall in line before Republicans voted with Democrats against them. I'm telling you, this is a joint effort to bring down the country. All right. A joint effort. Measure that accused Alejandro Mayorkas of not enforcing immigration law, among other things. Fox's Connor Hansen reports. On this vote, the yeas are 214 and the nays are 216. The resolution is not adopted. Drama on the House floor as four Republican lawmakers defect in a 214 to 216 vote not to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Secretary Mayorkas is guilty of maladministration of our immigration laws on a cosmic scale. But we know that's not grounds for impeachment because the American founders specifically rejected it. They didn't want political disputes to be. But you find explosives by the border. What do you. If this is not grounds to impeach him, what is? Come impeachments. House Republicans argued Secretary Mayorkas failed to enforce border laws and lied to Congress about the border being secure. We're, we don't take any any pride or joy in any of this. Um, I certainly don't. I voted my conscience. We knew it was going to be close going in um, because our majority is so razor thin. Um, of course, my colleagues that voted no, I think they'll be hearing from their constituents. No. This is a joke. The country is officially a joke when it comes to law and order and safety. That's what it is. But I got more on this clown show. I got more. Let's talk about the border right now, because just one day after Senate Republicans blocked a border security bill, there's word that the White House is preparing for a plan B. Two U.S. officials tell NBC News that President Biden may take executive action to address the border crisis, including efforts to stem the flow of migrants. Now, that number hit a record high back in December with Customs and Border Patrol reporting more than 10,000 crossings per day. NBC News Homeland Security correspondent Julia Ainsley joins us with more. Uh, Julia, look, you are so 
well sourced uh, on this topic. How much of an impact could an executive action have? And is that sort of an admission that we, we can't solve this problem uh, without legislative help? Well, that's exactly why the White House sent out the statement on our reporting, I think, Morgan, that they did last night, where they're saying, look, there's nothing that the White House can do that will get anywhere near the impact of that border bill. And they just continue to say that the bill should be passed. But as you just pointed out in your previous reporting, that has now been stripped from what just got passed through the Senate. So it's a question of could it be added in or passed in a different way. But basically, without funding, without new authorities, they're basically just trying to put a Band-Aid on a much bigger problem here. But sources that I've spoken to and my colleague Monica Alba have spoken to say they've got to do something. These numbers are expected to start going up again in March. Going into an election year, this is becoming a really big issue. Some people who didn't care a whole lot about immigration or indifferent about people coming into our country, it's now starting to be an issue they care about. And the White House wants to act, but it probably won't go as far. You know, you, you describe sort of uh, the system and the back and forth here, but I know that you mentioned there was a 50% drop in crossings between the record high that we saw in December and just as January hit. I mean, what changed? How, how did you see a drastic drop to that degree? Well, one of the reasons the numbers were so high in December is because Mexico had run out of a lot of funding to interdict the migrants who were coming from Central and South America through Mexico on their way to the United States. They so Biden's considering, considering <laughs> to deter illegal immigration. He's considering this. The only reason why it stopped a little bit because Mexico didn't have the funding to send people over. Wonderful. Just, just, yeah. Incompetence, people, incompetence. But it really isn't incompetence. Like I said, Biden knows what he's doing. He's not stupid. By no stretch of the imagination is that man stupid. Okay. At all. But um, let's uh, talk about the, um, the ceasefire right now. Okay. Let's talk about that. Uh, Ceasefire in Gaza. Let's talk about that. Israel continues to bombard Gaza. The Israelis are facing internal tensions of their own. On one hand, there are the families of the hostages demanding that the government takes action to bring them home. And on the other, there are activists taking to the streets of Tel Aviv. Listen in. On the front lines, Israel is stepping up military operations in Gaza. But domestically, tensions simmer as citizens are taking to the streets, urging the Israeli government for a ceasefire. 
I define it as a genocide, no less and no more. Despite the denials, it is a genocide. Rallies in Tel Aviv took a dramatic turn when anti-war demonstrators butted heads with police forces. As days pass and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza worsens, global concern over the devastation in Gaza grow louder, as do the voices from within Israel too. hardly even heard in, in Israel. We're being silenced from every direction. The newspapers don't, or the media doesn't show any images of what's going on in Gaza. So it's really important to stand up and say that this is done in our name and it needs to stop. In the backdrop of domestic and regional volatility, frustrated families of hostages in Gaza still wait for the news of their loved ones asking the government to rescue the hostages, to bring them home. I'm missing my brother so much. I want him home. Everybody wants him. At a home in Kibbutz, families and freed hostages held a solemn ceremony for the first birthday of Kafir Bibas, the infant held hostage by Hamas on October 7th. This is a sad state of affairs. It really is. Because the, the Zionists are the one that don't want this war to stop. They want it to keep going. And it's really, it, it is a truly sad story because not all Jews are for this war against um, Palestine. They want peace. That's why a lot of them don't want Netanyahu to be president any longer of Israel. Okay. And unfortunately, it's 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 out of their hands. Okay, there's really not much they could do but protest. Okay. But uh, let's get into um, what uh, South Africa um, Minister Lady Pandor has to say about our family being threatened uh, by Israeli spies. Let's get into that story right now. for Eye on Africa with me, Georgia Calvin-Smith. Tonight, Israel denies threatening South Africa's international relations minister. Naledi Pandor says that she's worried about the safety of her children since South Africa's filed a case before the ICJ accusing Israeli forces of committing genocidal acts against Palestinians. Also, Senegalese security forces use tear gas and rubber bullets to hold back protesters condemning the delay to elections which had been due this month. The moves plunged the country into a political crisis. And a US museum's handed back looted royal items to a Ghanaian Sante regent 150 years after they were taken by marauding British soldiers. The Fowler Museum says the artifacts were bought by an American collector. And the
has accused Israeli intelligence of trying to intimidate her. They've denied this, but Lady Pandor has said that she's received threatening messages and that even her children have been mentioned on social media. Pandor's allegedly been targeted over South Africa's case before the International Court of Justice, accusing Israel of genocide for its bombardment of Palestinians in Gaza. Our Eunice Masson joins us now with more from Cape Town. Eunice, so what more can you tell us about these, these threats to which Pandor is referring? Not much, to be quite honest. Uh, the foreign minister, Naledi Pandor, spoke about the intimidations only briefly uh, after last night's uh, State of the Nation address. So offering very little insight into exactly how she was intimidated. And we do not know exactly how serious it is either. Pandor's department has not elaborated on the claims. And she also said that she requested that her security should be increased. And whether it has been beefed up is unclear. The Police National Spokesperson told France 24 that the police cannot disclose uh, matters regarding the safety and security uh, of its cabinet members, which is understandable. So at this point, we do not know the serious nature of the intimidations, except that, as you've mentioned, that Israel has in the meantime denied the accusations. Now, Eunice, uh, in, uh, you know, it was briefly mentioned during the State of a Nation address by Pandor, but she still said that uh, she kind of suggested that she expects to come under fire for um, South Africa's case before the ICJ by saying that it was worth it as there is a cause underway. What does she mean by that? What cause? Yes, I think the cause can be described as uh, multifaceted. Firstly, uh, the cause, as you've mentioned, is the ongoing court case in which South Africa claims Israel is committing genocide in Gaza. Uh, but secondly, it's a, a much broader cause where South Africa's ruling party, the ANC, uh, has a long-standing relationship uh, with Palestine. Uh, that dates back to the former statesman Nelson Mandela, who led the ANC from an anti-apartheid movement to to the current governing body. Uh, so from its own background, the ANC views Israel's control over Gaza and the West Bank as a form of apartheid. And on this point, South Africa has on numerous occasions in the past condemned the apartheid-style state of Palestinians and called for it to stop, uh, which I think uh, is, is the main cause, uh, what the minister has referred to. Thanks very much. Uh, Eunice Masson there for us in Cape Town. Okay. Um... I really do think at times that, uh, you know, South Africans, I know you want to stand up for Palestine and you feel kind of empathy on them, but you have to make sure, do they feel any empathy towards you? After all, these are Palestinians are Arabs and they do not like, um, <clears throat> they do not like uh, blacks. Okay. Palestine has a city called Abid, which means slave, city of slaves. Okay, so uh, that's just something to keep in the back of your mind. You want to probably, you know, feel bad for them, you know, because you're a fellow human being. But you have to understand these people, uh, they don't feel any humanity towards you. And you have to proceed with caution. That's all I am saying. Because there are plenty of... Uh, human rights violations when it comes to Palestine and the Middle East, when it comes to uh, black Palestinians, black Arabs. That is something that is not talked about at all.
All right. Okay. All right, so that is all that I'm going to have to put in for now. All right. Other than that, I hope you appreciate the current events that I have shown here today on my live stream. Like, share, comment, subscribe. Anything you want to know about this channel is in the description box. If you feel like uh, hitting up, you know, cash up, feel free to do so. Other than that, like, share, comment, subscribe. See you on the next one. Later.